Well, you've all had a, a blessing and a privilege this morning uh, because uh, we've been able to read uh, God's Word in our language. And uh, we are one of the privileged uh, languages of the world. Uh, the uh, 900 out of the 6,900 languages in the world, we have the whole Bible. Okay, so only 900 out of 6,900 languages in the world have the Bible. The further 2,200 have the New Testament and the rest... Uh, either have nothing translated or just a very small amount at present. So we've already had a privilege, and uh, if nothing else, uh, you'll get away from this message. You've heard God's word uh, read that it's a privilege that we have that many in the world uh, do not have. Um, A God who answers. Uh, Steve uh, gave uh, an excellent introduction yesterday to uh, this uh, weekend, a God who provides, pointing out how God provided for Elijah as he uh, was obedient to God and uh, prayed, and it said that uh, in uh, James uh, 5.17, it says that he prayed, and therefore uh, there was a drought. Uh, this summer, uh, we were in uh, Ballybunion, and um, uh, we have uh, a God who answers prayer there. So I um, enjoyed uh, the week very much. Uh, two answers to prayer. We prayed uh, with the children at the beginning of the week, and uh, we said, what should we pray for? And they said, well, let's pray for good weather. So we did. And then on the last day, on the Friday, I just reminded the children that uh, every single day of that week that we had had uh, sun and good weather all the week. So God answers prayer. Uh, I remember as a seven, uh, eight-year-old, I was on uh, MV. My dad was an MV leader, uh, probably in uh, France or Belgium, not sure exactly. And uh, there was this very uh, charismatic, engaging figure uh, uh, singing loudly down the front. And uh, it began to get cloudy and cold. And... um, this, uh, this character uh, said, let's sing uh, Heavenly Sunshine. And uh, as he sang, um, not because he sang, I'm sure, but uh, as he sang anyway, the, the, the clouds broke and the sun came down. And as a seven, eight-year-old, a very impressionable, uh, Gerard Crispin was there uh, leading. Um, that made actually quite a big impact on me that uh, has remained uh, with me for many years because there was a, a step of faith, if you like, just uh, standing up, uh, singing publicly, and there, there, there the sun broke through. Uh, and came. Another answer to prayer we saw uh, at uh, Ballybunion, there was a great response. Many families came, uh, lots of uh, people involved in the evening events. And uh, in the middle of the week, we had a teen event. And uh, I don't know, I, I've done a number of teen events over the years with Beach Missions, but uh, uh, really blessed that uh, 35 uh, teenagers came, listened very intently. And at the end, uh, 10 came uh, to take literature, to have long discussions, uh, came back uh, that week and then and into the next week. And uh, God really does answer prayer. In the midst of all the atheism and the unbelief that there is uh, around the UK at the moment, God is answering prayer. Now, to go back to our passage here, it's a time of uh, material prosperity, but spiritual decline. Many have decided to worship God in a way that they think best, according to their own imaginations. Many have rejected God as the creator. They deny his existence and power. Others have chosen to follow completely new ways, deny new ways and gods and ideas imported from other countries. Just in case you're wondering, it's difficult to tell if I'm speaking about the UK or the time here in uh, the Bible that we have before us. There's so many similarities. There's a great turning away from the true God. Many people are choosing to live openly immoral lives and many justify it from their new moral values that they have chosen. Persecution of those who preach the word of God is on the increase. And the state sponsors those who oppose God and are actively seeking to eradicate any teaching about Yahweh. 
That's our society today, and that's precisely the situation that Elijah finds himself in here. Um, I'm married to uh, Elizabeth, and she's Scottish. So let's have a quick word about Scottish referendum. We can put that away behind us. Okay? But uh, just interestingly, uh, here we have uh, the Highlanders and Northerners have claimed independence. Okay? Israel had separated from Judah. Okay? And uh, we're not going to be building a wall down the middle of our house uh, at the end of this week. Um, uh, my wife and I, in fact, in our house we get four no's. Uh, so that's quite good because my sons are old enough to, to vote as well. Anyway, um, just recently on, uh, on Facebook, uh, there, there came thing, uh, some, somebody from a, a minister in Perth. And he was just pointing out that Christians on both sides of the debate have been very vocal and very passionate about telling you know, each other what they think and how they should vote. And uh, the minister made a very telling comment. He said, if the Christians can take their zeal and enthusiasm to share what they think about the vote and channel it into sharing the gospel... Scotland could be one to Christ within the next few years. So uh, just, a, just a telling comment there. And hopefully, Lord willing, there will be enthusiasm for that. Um, the year, by the way, is around about 860 BC. Uh, this is a real event in history. The, the King David has reigned for uh, uh, 40 years, then Solomon, then uh, Rehoboam, who made the mistake of listening to the, the young men of his era uh, and uh, caused a split in the kingdom. And then since then, there's been uh, relative chaos especially in the north. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature... So none of us can sit here today and say, this passage of the Bible is irrelevant to us. Why? Because Elijah is just like us. So if we are weak, if we have... Uh, problems. Elijah is a man just like us. And yet it says there, he prayed. And all of us can do that. Elijah was a man just like us, and yet he prayed. Why? What's the difference? Because our God is a powerful, faithful, and prayer-answering God. Our God is a powerful God. He can do what we ask Him to do. He's a faithful God. He keeps His promises. He does exactly what He says He is going to do. And he is a prayer-answering God. As we ask in humility, he will answer. He can and he does. As I was preparing this, I was just beginning to wonder uh, what it is that uh, God is uh, maybe going to be saying to some of us here. Perhaps there's somebody in this room, and this year will be a major event in your life. Perhaps for you, it will be something like this uh, keystone uh, key event here where Elijah is, is in a confrontation with a majority that's saying, you are wrong. And basically, it's Elijah versus the majority. Um, I've got uh, two boys going to the local uh, 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 secondary school at the moment. And uh, it's astounding. We've been uh, 10 years uh, in the jungle working in uh, a tribe in Papua New Guinea. And uh, boys been homeschooled there. We come back to this country for uh, our, our home assignment time. And uh, as they go into the local uh, high school, it's incredible the pressure that is on young people today. So if you're at school or university or uh, even at work, it is intense pressure that is being put upon us by the society around us. And yet God is the same God. So first here we have the man whom God uses. The man whom God uses. And uh, the reason I I asked for the passage to be read is because uh, I've already taken half my sermon and uh, ditched it. Okay, I really enjoyed preparing it and there's tons of stuff in there but uh, there's not enough time, so we're going to focus on the second half of this passage. 
But uh, just to cover the, the, the first half briefly, the man whom God uses, first of all, uh, he is human, he is weak. We get that from James 5.17. Why? Because he's a man, a person, just like us. And James is emphasizing, Elijah is not special. Elijah is not some uh, person up on a pedestal that none of us in this room could ever possibly become like him. Remember, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, and John was the greatest of the prophets. Because you see, friends, it's not about us, it's about the God who we're trusting in. It's not even our faith as much as what our faith is in. So anybody, even if their faith is weak, if your faith is weak but it is in an almighty God, it can achieve anything. Elijah was a person just like us. And yet God used him in this way. In verse 1 we see that Elijah is a man who listens to God. It says uh, there that after many days, after about the three and a half years, that there was drought after about that time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he heard what God was saying. So God spoke to Elijah and he listened. This year, do you want to be used by God? Do you want God to take you and use you in sharing the gospel, in, uh, in, in helping encourage other believers? God can and he will. But we need to be listening to God. The worst kept secret in the Christian life is the fact that if we spend time with the Lord, hearing from his word and speaking to him, that is the core and essence of the Christian life. You know, there's so many ideas, there's so many theories, there's so many things that people try and do. But friends, it's the worst kept secret in the world. It's all the way through the Bible. If we spend time with the Lord, then we become people, men and women, whom the Lord uses. It is as simple as that. Love God, love his book. So he listens to God. Secondly there, he sees a man of faith. He trusts in God. He believes what God says. Remember, it's God's promise here. God said, I will send rain on the earth. I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah is praying in accordance with God's will. How do we know what God wills? We find it in the scripture. Therefore, we should be reading the Bible. We should be studying the Bible. Every one of us should be a student of this book. If you do nothing else in your life apart from become a student of this book, you will have become what God wants you to be in a man and woman of God. God will use you because you're studying his book and are able to speak his words. We see that doing this leads him to be bold, brave and obedient. Now just imagine, he's going here before the king who in a moment can have him executed on the spot. And he's not afraid. He goes and speaks directly to him. He tells him what God has said. And his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the God who has sent him. And you and I have the same God today and we can have the same confidence to speak on his behalf. Verse 12, we find out that he is spirit-led. It says there that uh, Obadiah here is in a bit of a panic. He sees him and he thinks, oh no, he's going to do a disappearing trick on me again. Now, by the way, it just says that Elijah appeared suddenly to Obadiah. And we know that from the New Testament, Philip, remember, was walking and was taken by the Holy Spirit and placed somewhere. So I don't know there's perhaps indications here that maybe this was the way that, uh, that, that, uh, that um, uh, the Holy Spirit worked with Elijah. But certainly we see from the New Testament that as believers, we should all be Spirit-led. We should be controlled by God's Spirit. And friends, that's not fuzzy feelings. It's not with, You know, we understand what God says through His Word. 
don't know about you, but many times in the open air or perhaps on the beach, you're talking to somebody and the conversation is sort of just going round, isn't it? You know, you try and bring up the gospel, not interested. Try again, not interested. Okay? And, 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 and you just wonder, how, how can this conversation go forward? Or maybe you're speaking to somebody and uh, they're perhaps religious and uh, as you try and share with them, you just get this, you just get this wall and maybe you get into a discussion about something and you're going nowhere. Do you know, friends, the number of times if we just take out our Bible and we say, look, there's just a verse here. I wonder, could, could you read that for me? Okay, now, I, I know that I can read it. Okay, but I find it's more effective if they read it. John 3.16, we can all find that in the Bible. Could you just read that verse for me? What does that say? Do you know, the power of God's Word to use and change their hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit uses and works through the Word of God. We need to have it in our lives, and that is how God will be able to use us. God, he's also a promise keeper, verse 15. He gives a promise to him. He's reliable. He says, I will surely present myself to him today. So he says, Obadiah, you can relax. I'm going to go and do exactly what I've said. And verse 15, we come back onto this thing. He talks about, again about, I am uh, uh, Elijah. This is the God of, Lord of hosts before whom I stand. Before whom I stand. And again, as Christians here, we can all say that we should be uh, people before whom we stand before the living God. This means personal, daily contact with God. Notice the verb there, before whom I stand. It's a present tense. It implies that this is something that uh, Elijah habitually does. He stands before God. In that sense, he's a mediator because he mediates between God and man. But he stands before God. He stands because he is confident of his position before God. He knows he's a sinner but he knows that his sins are forgiven. And therefore, he's able to stand before God and hear God's word. So let me ask you a couple of personal questions. How is your quiet time? How are your devotions? What a man is on his knees alone before God, that he is and nothing else. Because, friends, it really... You know, it, it, there are many opportunities to serve. There are many opportunities to be involved in, in beach missions, and, and, that, and that's good. But you know what, friends? You find that out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we are in daily contact with the Lord, then we can speak on the Lord's behalf and the Lord will use us. God uses clean instruments. Who are you really? Are you somebody who can put a front on? Or are you somebody who knows the Lord and the Lord is at work in your life? Um, I love to read the Bible through, uh, try and read the Bible through in a year. But I recognize that's a quite a difficult thing to do. So uh, maybe if you're already halfway through the year here and you're thinking, well, do you know what? If I look over the summer, really my, my time with the Lord has been a bit of a shambles. Here's a, a, a simple challenge you could do. If you started today and if you read two chapters of the New Testament, that's about five minutes each, ten minutes, okay, ten minutes a day until the end of the year, you can get yourself through the New Testament. So if that's something that you don't do, uh, then I would recommend. There's quiet time diaries as well uh, that are sold because as we tell other people what we've learned, it deepens the impression on our own hearts. Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verse 34 said, Blessed is the man who listens to me, speaking about wisdom, he watches daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. So Elijah was that kind of a person. He was daily waiting upon God, listening for God's instructions, listening for God's wisdom. Now, there's a challenge here as he goes down into verse 17, 18. He talks about, uh, uh, of course, Ahab accuses Elijah of doing exactly what he is doing. That's quite typical. 
he says, you're the trouble of Israel, but in fact it's Ahab who's the problem. And he says that there's two issues. Number one, you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, verse 18. And secondly, you have followed the Baals. And this is precisely what happened. Jeroboam, out of fear that the Israelites would keep going up to Jerusalem to worship God, and somehow he would lose power over them politically, what he did is he set up two golden calves, one in the north and one in the south. And remember, this was a a follow-on from Aaron's sin. Uh, Aaron's sin with the the weakest excuse ever. I threw it in the fire and out came the the gold bull. That's got to be the most, most pathetic excuse. Uh, we were teaching the people in the jungle and we told them that story and they all just laughed and said that's the most ridiculous thing they'd ever heard as well. Okay. Anyway, building on that original sin and mistake of Aaron, Jeroboam took it further and built two and uh, he set them up in uh, the north and south of Israel. So one was up here right at the very northernmost uh, border of Israel in Dan and there was one down here at Bethel just on the border before uh, you get into um, Judah. And again, the point was to stop the people, to stop the Israelites going down to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple as he had told them to do. So friends, this is worshipping God in the way that you think best. This is worshipping God according to your imagination and not according to the word of God. And in case we thought that was out of date, we could just perhaps look around the church today and we'll find precisely the same thing. In fact, this is a real event. It really happened. And here is, uh, in, in, uh, we were able to go to Israel on the way home from Papua New Guinea. And uh, here in the north of Israel, is, the, is this, this is the actually uh, believed to be the, um, the altar in the north where they would uh, have had the golden bull and Jeroboam. And it says, interestingly, uh, in the notes that Ahab extended this altar. Okay, so he made it uh, a bigger, a bigger uh, more complicated affair so that more people could come. And uh, later on, he, he also introduced uh, the Baal worship. Now, uh, Baal worship, you think, is something in the past. Uh, well, it's not. Uh, every year in Edinburgh, they have the Beltane Festival. Beltane Festival is a direct extension. The Celts brought over Baal from uh, Egypt and uh, other countries. They introduced it to the Celts. The Celts had the Beltane Festival. And I'm sad to say that every year in Edinburgh, on one of the hills in the city centre, they have a huge festival which is going back to fire and going back to worship of Baal. And in fact, as the Bible says, these things are linked to demon worship. So what was in the past in our Bibles is still here present in our country today. And verse 19 says that there's state sponsorship of those who promote evil and wickedness. These people ate at Jezebel's table. The majority of religious leaders didn't worship Yahweh. That's the same today. People at school, uh, those of you at school, university, college, at work, you know that the majority rules. Sometimes you're sharing your faith, you're talking about these things, and uh, people will say, well, I see what you're saying, but you know what? Everyone else believes this. And so people rely upon the majority to decide what is right and wrong. And yet the the majority here is wrong. Now, question. How many people does God require to work a great work and glorify His name? How many people does God need to work a great work and glorify His name? Well, actually, the answer is zero. But He does choose to use us. And so the answer here is one. Now, there are other prophets. Remember, 
there were 100 prophets that were rescued by Obadiah. But at this point in history, as they stand on this mountain, there is just Elijah versus the 450. 450 to 1, and it's the 450 that are all wrong. So maybe this year at school or college, university, work, you might be facing a similar situation. It might be 450 to 1. But friends, when we rely upon the Word of God, we can have confidence that with God, one is a majority. With God, one is a majority. They're up here on the Mount Carmel, which is about 1,700 feet. That's 520 meters. Uh, for those of you in the other term, I don't know if uh, Scotland gets independent, we're going to be changing that, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be back in Papua New Guinea anyway, so we won't have to deal with all of that. Verse 21 brings us on to the challenging question. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. You see, the people were not completely rejecting of God, but they wanted to worship God in a way that was easier for them and that fit in with the, the, the situation that they're in, if you like, to fit in with the world's ideas. Now, I remember when I first got involved in beach missions, um, I mentioned that before I used to uh, be taken along to MV uh, as a child, but the first beach, beach mission team I went to was 17 years old, went to Landerno, and it happened to be uh, Lance Pibworth, uh, his last uh, week, and the leaders were Dave Friary and John Hawley. Now, up to that point, uh, I became a Christian when I was 12, uh, believed that Christ died on the cross for my sins, uh, but then went to secondary school, I tried to live like my friends from Monday through Saturday, and on Sunday, I could put on my Christian face and then try and, you know, pretend to be uh, spiritual. Now, if any of you here are doing that, and uh, believe me, it's a common situation, many people do it, uh, it's pretty miserable. It's pretty miserable because, you know what, your friends never really truly accept you. Why? Because you're different. Because you are a Christian, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. They're never truly going to completely accept you as one of them. Because in order to be accepted by them, you're going to have to do exactly the same things that they do. And friends, you, know, you and I know that the Holy Spirit working within us, our conscience, helps us realize, you know what, I can't do these things. So they're never fully going to accept you. But you know what, playing the hypocrite and having a foot in the world and a foot trying to follow God, you, know, you realize too that before God, things aren't right. Anyway, that was my situation. I went on beach missions, uh, started trying to read the Bible that year, and I was realizing this, this is miserable, trying to be in two camps. Who am I going to follow God? or I'm going to follow the world. That's exactly what was the situation here. And you know, friends, we went on that first year at Beach Missions. Uh, it was uh, Landudno, and uh, I, I'd never really shared my faith much before. It says there, the people didn't answer him a word. And guess what, friends? If we compromise, then it inhibits our ability to share. The reason I didn't share my faith at school is because I was trying to live two different lives. I was trying to compromise. I was trying to be acceptable to everybody, and it doesn't work. Anyway, went on this beach mission team, and uh, uh, Dave Friary, uh, there, the first open air, absolutely terrified, scared, silly, um, I knew not know how to do this thing, so I said to Dave Friary, uh, can I come along with you? And uh, graciously, he let me, and uh, went into a conversation with a fellow who stopped, and uh, he introduced me and said, this is Daniel, and you know, he became a Christian, Daniel, and to tell his story, so I shared my testament, this isn't as hard as I thought. It's a lot easier, in fact. So anyway, the next, next night, I was, I was so excited. I thought, well, I can do this. I can do this. This is not too hard. So this fellow stops the open air, walks off, and I go charging him after him. And I said, my name's Daniel. And how, and how, do you, do you, what do you think? Do you go to church? 
And he said, uh, he said, yes, I go to the Church of Latter-day Saints. Well, let me tell you. Now, for those of you who know, the Church of Latter-day Saints is uh, Mormons, okay? So it would have been a fairly interesting discussion, and I have no idea what I uh, said, but I at least gave my testimony, at least told him how I had become a Christian, okay? And through that, uh, building up confidence and, and the ability to share the gospel, uh, the Lord really worked in my life. And I, for me, it was a life-changing moment because it was the first time that I could remember where I'd been in a team of people who were all on fire for God, as far as I was concerned. Now, I don't know what was going on in everyone's hearts, but for me, this was real, authentic Christianity. This is it. If you go all out for Jesus, it's the real thing. If you try and go for the compromise, you know what, friends? You don't get the best of both worlds. And, and one day, we stand before the Lord, and the Lord's going to reward us for what we've done on this earth. And if, friends, if we've tried to compromise and fit in, there's going to be very little that the Lord can reward us with. But if we've given all to Him, we're prepared to stand up and stand bold for God, there is a great reward coming to us. So, let me ask you, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? Who are you going to choose? This day, you can choose and say, Lord, you helping me, I want to live all out for you. Then verse 22, Elijah points out, he's the only one left. He's the only one left. And, uh, and God uh, is going to really have to stand up uh, and come to Elijah's aid. Verse 24 says, You can call and name your gods. So this was Baal, who was the, the male version, if you like, and then Asherah, who was the female version. Uh, Baal was alleged to be the god of fertility, the god of harvest, uh, often represented as holding a, a staff in his hand, uh, also sometimes holding lightning in his hand. So he was, he was held to have the power of uh, the authority for harvesting. But also, interestingly, with the fire and the lightning, uh, maybe that's particularly why Elijah chose this particular method to test and prove that the God of Baal was not a God. Because this is something that he was said to have the power to do. Yahweh, of course, is the covenant and promise-keeping God. The name is, is the character. The, the reason the Bible talks so much about the name of God is because a name in the Bible tells you about the person's character. That's why God's got lots of names in the Bible, because He's infinite. You can't describe everything that God is. And so in the Bible, God's names are manifest, and many, and this is one of them, is Yahweh. Verse 25, He gives them the opportunity to go first. He says, you can go first, you can choose. Uh, creation evolution debate, you can, you can allow the other guy to go first, because you know what? God is a God who speaks. Give them every opportunity, because God is a God of power. Your enemies of God cannot win. I remember being very discouraged in the tribe uh, about halfway through language learning and uh, I was thinking about giving up and thankfully there were people praying for us and God answers those prayers. But I came across uh, Psalm 46 verse 10 and it says there, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And friends, whatever happens to you this year, God is going to be exalted in all nations. God is going to be exalted. He cannot break His Word. The one thing we do know is that this Word of God is eternal, it's everlasting, and not a single word will be changed and not a single promise will be broken. So whatever our country looks like, faith says God will be exalted in our nation and in every single nation on this earth. Philippians 2 verse 10, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those on the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Now let me just echo something Roger said. That means, friends, when you have a little Christian leaflet and you're maybe paying for your petrol or you, you, you see an opportunity, do you know what? God wants them to hear the gospel. How do we know? Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. So God wants every person on this planet to hear the gospel. So that means when I stand there with my little leaflet and I'm feeling a bit nervous, feeling a bit of a, you know, if the guy refuses me or the woman refuses me, I might feel a bit of a, do you know what? God wants them to hear the gospel. And you might be the means. If they refuse, do you know what? Maybe God will have another opportunity for them another time. But there's a leaflet here and now is an opportunity. And the person who's receiving the leaflet, do you know what, friends? There is a day coming when they will bow the knee to Jesus. They will say that you are Lord. But we want them to be in time. We want that to be a willing bowing in this life and not having left it to the end. Verse 27, it's now noon. They've been on the go for about three or four hours, about 30 or 40 degrees C, probably about the same temperature it is in the jungle where we live. There's no answer. Cry aloud, for he is a God. What, what Elijah's doing, he's not just making fun for the sake of making fun. Elijah is showing them the difference between their God and the God of the Bible. Their God can't hear. Our God always hears. Their God is maybe away meditating. He's thinking about things. He's learning something. Our God doesn't need to learn everything. He knows everything. He doesn't need anything. Maybe, maybe Baal is busy. God knows everything already. His understanding is infinite. He can do an infinite number of things at the same time. As you sit here and you pray, millions of people across the world who also serve God, they're also praying. God can hear every single person and answer every single prayer individually and specifically for that person. God is awesome. Baal can't do that. He's doing one thing. He can't even get back and, and be involved here. He doesn't exist. He's not real. Maybe he's on a journey. Our God is everywhere all at once, so he doesn't need to travel. Maybe he's sleeping. Our God needs nothing. He doesn't need sleep. He does not get tired. Our God, who answers prayer, is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who needs nothing and is self-existence. He always hears and answers our prayers perfectly. And that is what, that is what Elijah is getting at here. He's not just making fun of them. He's pointing out the difference between what they believe uh, and what uh, Yahweh God is. Verse 28 says, They cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. Now, you know what? Satan isn't very original. He has the same lies everywhere. We get there into the jungle. We start living with these people. We start learning their language. We start learning their culture. And guess what? We already know what their culture is. How? Because Romans 1 tells us what happens when people reject God. They knew about the God of creation. They even had a word for creator. They had marriage. They had a knowledge of stealing being wrong, adultery being wrong, etc., etc. They had a knowledge of God, and instead they chose to worship their idols. And in fact, one of their customs was to cut themselves. They would cut themselves so the blood ran, and the blood was to show their, 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 their spirit how much commitment they had to show how much they were devoted to them. Of course, Satan knows that that commitment, that devotion, not given to God, will produce condemnation from God that will send somebody to the lake of fire forever. That is why Satan wants that. And so people uh, around the world who do not know God will tend to copy that. The, the person who does that says, look at my sacrifice, look at my pain. 
But what blood and what offering will God accept? What is the only blood? What is the only offering that God will accept? Yes, it's the blood of a perfect lamb, a perfect substitute offered in our place. Even in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, they merely covered sin until Christ came and when he died upon the cross, his blood ran down to the ground. He paid with his life the price for all of our sin. That is the only blood, that is the only sacrifice that God will accept. So Baal is false, he's fake, he's futile, and he cannot answer the big questions of life. The man who asks is Elijah, and he says in verse 30, Come near to me. I just uh, want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and perhaps is uh, looking over your, your last few months, maybe there's a bit of time you've been aware that you've been perhaps wandering away from God or things have got cool uh, for you spiritually. Do you know what? God is always willing to welcome you back. He is a gracious, a gracious God, a loving God. And here, as Elijah invites the people to come near to him, I believe God is also saying to us to come near, come back. Uh, we can be like prodigal son, we can wander away, but God welcomes us back. We could be like the elder brother in the prodigal son. We could become harsh. We can become critical and judgmental of other people. And do you know what, friends? We need to come back to God from that kind of position as well. The altar's been neglected. It's been broken down. And yet it's repaired. We can neglect the word of God. We can neglect prayer. We can neglect fellowship with other believers. And we can neglect witness and evangelism. Even on the team, uh, it's possible to do those things. But as we come back to God... Uh, we can uh, have all those things uh, straightened out. It says there that he put the wood in order. God is a God of order. Uh, creation, the ark, the tabernacle, the temple, everything about God, he shows he's a God of order. Why does Elijah pour all this water um, over the altar? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to do when he pours all this water over? Three times he does it. Sorry, you may have realized by now that uh, in the tribe we ask lots of questions when we're teaching, okay? So just, just warning you, okay? So what, what is it? What he's trying to do? Yeah, he is, he's making it impossible. He's making it more difficult. Why? Because he has absolute confidence. God has said he's going to send rain. Okay? Elijah has set up this contest where he is calling upon God to send fire from heaven. Now, is this just Elijah's idea, or has God already sent fire from heaven before? He has, at least two occasions. When David, who sinned by asking for the, uh, the census to be done, when he came to the, the threshing floor of uh, the Jebusite, he bought that lamb, which was the future site of the temple, and it says there that he offered uh, a sacrifice, and God answered with fire from heaven at that spot. That was uh, 1 Chronicles 21:26, And then when Solomon dedicated the temple, the Shekinah glory of God, the, the manifest presence of God, came to the temple and was in the temple. The priest couldn't offer. And it says that the fire came down from heaven on the altar to show that God accepted the altar. You see, as Elijah looked back at what God had done in the past and who God was, that gave him faith to know how God was going to act in the future. And friends, that's the essence of faith. Faith is simply believing what God says about something to be true. Faith is not focused on us, 
We are just believing an almighty, all-powerful God who never lies and always does what he promises to. That is what faith is. And so we look back to see what God has done, and that gives us faith to see what God will do. So Elijah is not going out on a limb here. He is barely uh, asking God to act in a way that he has acted before. So Elijah is a man who asks. It's a short prayer. It's an earnest prayer. It's not long. Fervent, genuine, true. Friends, if you're, if you're on beach missions, if you're working with children, if you're praying from the front, then please, let's be real. Children can spot hypocrisy in a flash. I've done it. You stand at the church, uh, stand at the front with the kids, and you pray a prayer, but you're not really praying. You may be trying to teach them about prayer. Well, friends, don't mistake the two. When we pray publicly, let's pray. Because they see it, and they know it's real. And secondly, when we pray, let's pray big. Um, coming back to this country uh, after about, uh, basically about 10 years um, overseas, I have noticed that within the church, not just saying beach missions, but within the church as a whole, I noticed that people's prayers are perhaps not as ambitious as they used to be. Okay, now we all need to pray that we'll have good context, that we'll have good conversations. But friends, let's raise the bar and let's pray that people will be saved. Children will be saved. Teenagers will be saved. Adults will be saved. Why? Because our God is a powerful God. He is a capable God. Don't just raise it down to a level of, okay, we'll have a good event. It's good to have a good event. It's good to have lots of people. But let's pray in faith, not just people will come, not just will listen, but we will see people saved. Now, I know it's harder than ever before because people are starting further back than ever before. It's harder to see them come right to Christ. But friends, I think we should still aim and pray in that line. Let's move on to the last uh, section here where God answers the prayer. That, by the way, is a, a, a possible site of this particular event. It's a flat area there uh, near the top of Mount Carmel. Plenty of open space. Remember, it says all Israel gathered here. So there was hundreds, thousands of people here. And uh, Elijah was in the middle uh, and uh, dealing with it. Here they are uh, just pouring the water on. Elijah's making sure that this is impossible. There is no explanation for the sacrifice being consumed except God. And the God who answers, verse 38 to 46, is our God, a powerful, faithful, and prayer-answering God. In closing, let's just uh, read that uh, couple of verses there. Uh, He speaks here, and uh, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Our God is a faithful God. He does what He says He will do. He cannot break His promise. Question. When did the fire fall? When did the fire fall? After Elijah prayed, when the sacrifice was ready, when everything had been put on the altar, prayer had been offered, humble dependence upon God, Then the fire fell, the miracle. And again, to apply it to our lives. Friends, our part is just to offer ourselves to God. Our part is to surrender our lives to God and let Him do whatever it is that He wants to do individually in our lives. But as we surrender ourselves to God, we put, if you like, our all before Him. We are ready. We're a living sacrifice. Prayer's been offered. There is no limit to what God 
can do in response. Friends, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out the boat. You do. You have to get out the boat. There comes a time where faith becomes visible. It becomes visible when you get out the boat or when, like Elijah here, you're standing there in a situation where it's you alone against the majority, but by faith, God is able to demonstrate his power and his complete authority. Why did the fire fall? The fire fell because of a surrendered servant and because of a suitable sacrifice. Last thing I'd like to share is this. Um, just summarize it. Basically, I was thinking about God is character and past, present, and future. And interestingly, faith looks back at what God was and has done. It looks at what God is doing now and what God will do in the future. And as we look at God's character, our faith can be increased. Remember, faith is believing what God says about something to be true. God says, if you will believe that my son Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and rose again, I will forgive your sins. If a person believes that, has faith, it doesn't matter if their faith is as small as a mustard seed, if the faith is in the omnipotent God and the word that he has said, that's what happens. And uh, sorry, because of time, I don't have to, uh, time to go through all of this, but if you want to uh, have a look at it uh, later, I'd be happy to share it with you. Basically, God's character, past, present, and future, gives us faith. As we think about who he is, what he's done, that gives us faith and confidence for the future. And then interestingly, faith and prayer are linked. Because as we look back upon what God has done, as we realize he's at work in us by his Holy Spirit, as we realize the things that he is going to do, one day God will be exalted, one day Jesus will come back, one day we will have eternal life, we will be in heaven, and our bodies, sinful as they are, will also be sinless and redeemed. When all those things are true and we realize them, that means our prayers are more effective. We're praying according to the will of God when we do those things. Romans 12 and Hebrews 12. Some great verses there. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Friends, that's what you should be doing. Not just once, but daily. Hebrews 12 tells us that as well, there's also stuff to get rid of. In verse 40 it says, Do not let one of the prophets of Baal escape. And maybe there's things in your life, maybe things in my life, that we just need to get rid of because they're hindering us, they're weights that are holding us back in our walk with the Lord. The man whom God uh, uses, we've seen that. The man who asks, we've seen Elijah's character, but we have a God who answers, he's faithful and will always do what he's promised. 